Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, December 26, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been up to at the water cooler. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writers Y-Trend Bowie. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. So Jacob is not here today. Uh, it's his day off. Uh, we were we were doing this water cooler on a Wednesday, which is very unusual. But we had a couple days off on the site. Uh, uh, yeah. So uh, hopefully everybody enjoyed their holiday. Um, I, uh, Brad, what what did you do this holiday? Uh, so I had a friends' mess party just right before actual Christmas. Every year I get together with. Uh, some of my friends who um, that we hang out fairly frequently and we have our own little party with you know white elephant Christmas gift exchange and food and just general hanging out so it's pretty much you know what a lot of people do but my friend uh, Ben wanted to make it a little bit different this year and he just well, we've been going to escape rooms every now and then and we really you know like going together and trying to get done the fastest and that kind of thing and so he took it upon himself to create like a, a little, makeshift escape room that we put together where we were having the party at 
Um, and so it wasn't anything like complex, or, but he just got like a lot of different padlocks and wrote all these puzzles and like a, a mini story about like of Santa Claus uh, being taken hostage by the elves who were <laughs> sick of working for him. And so it, it was really fun. Uh, like he created this like little makeshift uh, moving parts, like a zip line to like free one of the locks. And it was really cool. It was uh, he, he did it all in the, that same day kind of as a last minute thing and it was uh i helped him out by beta testing some of the puzzles and stuff and wait you uh, helped him out and then participated no no no, i didn't participate okay. i stayed i stayed on the side we let there were we have we had plenty of other people who were there who like could play it without me having to do it uh wow. so yeah so i didn't play um but uh our friends had a good time doing it and then uh i kind of <laughs> i didn't really get screwed over but it was amusing at the time because during our white elephant Christmas exchange, I drew number one out of the hat. So I got to go first and pick the first gift. And then Ben was next and he stole it from me. And then for some reason, it created a chain where I opened almost all of the presents and everybody kept stealing them from me, regardless of whether <laughs> they really wanted the gift or not. <laughs> so uh, I, just, I, I eventually I was getting up out of the chair like three or four times. I was like, okay, I'm just standing up here. I go, I'm going to end up opening all of the presents. Uh, <laughs> but the good news is that I, uh, since I went first, I was also the last person allowed to steal. So I was able to steal what I actually wanted. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, what did you end up with? Uh, it's one, uh, one of those, uh, it's a plug and play, like classic arcade system that has a bunch of um old school arcade games on it like galaga and tetris and mappy and stuff like that see that actually sounds like something like you would like i feel like usually yeah. these white elephant things end up with like something useless that you would never even want yeah we try to make it so that it's something that is like kind of fun kind of cool not necessarily like something that you would go out of your way to get but it's still you know something that you would enjoy I uh I spent Christmas. I I cheated on my diet. I went to a Chinese restaurant and we ordered pizza. I had a friend over, uh, Nate, um, and who might be listening. Uh, so hi Nate. Uh, we uh, so yeah, it was just, Christmas was filled with me indulging in food. But earlier in the week, uh, one of my favorite board game designers and publishers, Jamie Stigmeyer was in town. He was in town because he was coming to see the Survivor finale, which they record live in, in uh, a, you know, just like a mile away from where I live. And uh, he had never been to the Magic Castle, so I got to take my favorite board game designer. Designer, He has done games like Psy, uh, Viticulture, Euphoria. Um, and I've uh, we followed our, each other for many years, and I got to take him to the Magic Castle and show him, uh, you know, the magic of uh, of the Magic Castle. So that was a fun experience, and that's really all, all for my week, aside from you know reading and watching movies, which we'll talk about later. Uh, ben, you have been traveling this holiday season. Yes, I'm recording from my uh, in-laws' bonus room right now, or like their office. Um, so yeah, if, if my microphone sounds different, that's why. But um, yeah, I'm I'm in Florida. Uh, I I'm here for about ten days, I think, all said and done. So yeah, I've been bouncing back and forth between my parents' house and my in-laws' houses for. We did Christmas with my in-laws on Christmas Eve, and then Christmas Christmas at my parents' house yesterday. So um, yeah, it's just been you know a little chaotic, but uh, the good kind of chaotic, you know, where you get to spend time with family. So it, it's nice. Um, the one thing that I wanted to mention at, at, in in this segment of the podcast was. Uh, Brad talked about going to Top Golf on a recent episode of The Water Cooler, and I had a chance to do the same thing 
uh, a couple days ago, my aunt and uncle came up from, uh, they live sort of in the middle of Florida in a town called Bradenton, which is near Tampa. So they came up to visit us and we all went to Topgolf, which is, um, as Brad mentioned, it's basically just like a three story, three or four story maybe, um, facility where it's like a driving range, a multi-tiered driving range. And there are flags placed out in the middle of the the range or what, what have you. And they have uh, concentric circles around them and they're, it's like a point system. So it's basically like a cross between a driving range and like a, uh, an electronic dartboard. Um, and yeah, it was, it was really fun. I mean, the uh, scoring system was a little wonky. Sometimes we would watch our golf balls go into certain areas and they wouldn't uh, register the proper points even though we like watch them you know <laughs> like they, they should have done this thing but but they ended the computer system just ended up failing for whatever reason but uh, aside from that it was fun like you know we weren't being like super competitive or anything um my dad actually played golf professionally for many many years <laughs> so uh he would have blown us all out of the water anyway if we had decided to play you know and with any sort of competition so um yeah it was just a lot of fun just a laid back time and they had food and drinks and stuff we got a couple drinks while we were there and just uh yeah messed around and swung swung around and hit some golf balls it was fun everybody gets to play top golf except for me which is it's funny that I'm complaining about this because it's not even like I like golf or mini golf or anything. Have you ever played before, Peter? Yeah, I've never any 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 kind of golf. I mean, just mini golf, and I'm okay. I'm really bad at it. I'm usually like the person who gets like you know what is that like the highest score? I guess. Yes. Yeah, which is bad in golf. So uh, I'm not even sure why I'm excited to do top golf, but someday. Someday I'll yeah, be a my, my wife had never really swung a golf club before, so it was fun sort of, you know, especially having my dad there who has like decades of golf experience to sort of like show her the ropes a little bit. And um, and yeah, she was like a little nervous about <laughs> about uh, maybe whiffing completely and just missing a ball or like, you know, doing something embarrassing in front of people. But, but yeah, she uh, she did really, really well. So it was a lot of fun for everybody. Very cool. Uh, HT, what have you been up to? So I've been home for the past week uh, at my parents' house, and uh, so I spent some t- spending time with my parents uh, and my sister. Uh, this weekend, I went to Georgetown Glow with my sister and my mom, which is the sort of uh, public light installation that's all about all around Georgetown. You kind of do a walking tour around the area um, and um, take pictures. It's a very Instagram. Wait, so is this like Christmas lights? No, it's just like art installations in general. And so it's kind of tied to Christmas in that they're lights, but otherwise it's not very Christmassy. Uh, it's just something that looks very Instagrammable and nice in the winter. So people like to go to it. And um, it's really pretty, especially around like sunset and everything. So we walked around a little bit um, and Georgetown's a good like shopping area. So we walked around there and got dinner at Fiola Mare, which is the, this delicious um, like seafood restaurant, uh, which usually requires a big reservation. We just kind of walked in and we're like, hey, do you guys have anything for four people? <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. And um, I also I had my uh, annual Secret Santa with my high school friends that I've been doing for the past I think seven years now. We're, we've been very proud that we've been keeping up this tradition since we, uh, a little since we graduated high school, essentially. And um, we every year we meet up at one of our houses and uh, exchange Secret Santa gifts and usually either watch a Bollywood movie or recently we've been playing Pandemic. 
Um, and every year, it, well, Pandemic is a board game that like takes hours to do. And every year we realize that we play it wrong. And this year we're, we're a little closer to playing it right. We just got one rule that we missed. Otherwise, we're almost there. We lost still, but someday we're going to play it right and win. If you mess yeah. up one rule in that game, you're screwed. Yeah, well, it's like the rules make it, are supposed to make it harder for you, but we lost regardless. So it's like, I guess it's kind of redundant in the end. <laughs> um, and then at my on my mom's side, we only had Christmas with my mom's side of the family, and uh, we had a like a five course meal uh, that was really delicious with lots of wine because my uncle is like a big wine connoisseur and uh, brought a wine new wine bottle with each to pair with each. Uh, course so that was a real interesting night i put on my instagram story i don't know if you guys saw it but there was like i a saw line that there was like there was like 12 bottles of wine at the end of the yeah, night or something there insane. are 14 people at that party <laughs> that is insane yeah and only one of and one of which is underage so it was a uh, it was really fun <laughs> <laughs> um and uh yeah i just ate a lot and uh had a good um had a good sort of relaxing christmas very cool. Uh, let's move on to what we've been reading. Usually I'm not reading a lot, but this week I have a lot to talk about because Comixology, which is an app uh, for the iPad and I guess other devices, it's probably even on your computer. I've never used it on my computer. I use it on my iPad. Uh, every year at the end of the year, they have this big year-end sale where most of like the Image comics and some of the Marvel comics and uh, whatnot are almost like half off. So you, if you ever want good comics, you wait till the very end of the year, you can usually get a good deal. And I usually end up going to uh, comicbookroundup.com, which is this site. It's kind of like the, uh, I guess, Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic of comic books. I usually go there and I check out, you know, what is the best reviewed comic books of the year? And I end up buying you know, I end up spending, you know, 50 or $100 on comic books to read for this year. Uh, and I started reading them. One of them is Batman White Knight. This is by Sean Murphy, who did both the the art and the writing. That's not usually the case um, with comic books. And this is, in, uh, you know, this is a Batman uh, graphic novel. This is, uh, I think, almost 300 pages. So it's a long, it's a long book. And uh, this takes place in, like, I guess they call it Elseworlds, which is uh, a when stories are sell, set out of the uh, out of canon. So uh, many years ago, there was this story, uh, you know, Superman Red Sun. What if Superman landed in Russia instead of, you know, the United States? Uh, so, so it's kind of like that kind of thing in this story. It's kind of set more in the, like what the normal uh, timeline is, and what happens is that somehow, and it's kind of co a comic booky way, uh, Joker is finally cured and uh, of his like insanity, and he becomes uh, he becomes this guy who is claiming he wants to do the right by Gotham, and Batman has uh, has trouble accepting this. He's been pushed to the brink of, uh, of you know, and, and it's out of control. You know, he's, uh, you know, if you think about it, Batman's driving through Gotham with an unlicensed tank, destroying millions of dollars of property and sometimes injuring civilians in, in the course of trying to capture these, like, supervillains. And, uh, you know, he's not on Gotham PD. There, there is no oversight. Uh, and 
uh, Joker, or I guess he's now Jack, is proposing that maybe ba- Batman is the reason for Gotham's supervillain problem. So it, this kind of turns things uh, on its edge because Joker becomes kind of the good guy and Batman becomes the bad guy. Uh, this is R-rated. It is... Um, it's a very interesting take, and I, I know I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm about to say something. And I think this will probably turn people off to this, but I, I I believe that this is like the perfect Batman story for the Trump era of uh you know the world we live in, and um you know it's like you know Batman's making all these compromises, and you know do, are, do the ends justify the means? Like uh this has amazing art, uh I. I'd love to see them make a movie of this someday. Maybe, perhaps, the Joaquin Phoenix Joker series. If th- this could be the perfect, maybe third film in that franchise, if that becomes a franchise, I, I would love to see this brought to life because it it's, has so many great things about it. And I, I hope people out there uh, go out and try to read this. I know the comic is, I think, normally like fifteen bucks or something. If if you're on Comicsology, and this isn't an ad. This isn't sponsored. I think it's on sale for four ninety nine. So you can get a 300-page read for, you know, four ninety nine. It's pretty good. Um, and the other thing I started reading, I haven't finished. I'm halfway through this. This is like 336 pages, so it's a, a long read as well. And I think I uh, either I, – I'm not sure if I messaged this to you on Twitter or in Slack uh, last year, HT, but I came across this graphic novel uh, by someone named Ty, Ty Bui. T H I T T T Bui, and stupidly me, I'm like because because I have a last name that's you know I I have a, a Google um, alert for my last name because I like to find other people with my last name. My last name is very uncommon, uh, so like I, I remember sending you the photo and you're like yeah Bui, there's lots of Bui's, <laughs> yeah, but um. <laughs> But I had picked it up at that point, and I was like looking through it, and the art was so beautiful, and uh, I wanted to get it, but it was a, it, it was you know more than what I wanted to spend, uh, and now it's on sale for you know extremely low price. So I picked it up on Comicsology, and I read this. This is called "The Best We Could Do" by T. Is that yes? T. I think that's it. Okay, yeah. uh, it's so beautiful, sad, uh, such a wonderful personal read. This is like kind of a memoir. It, she's, um, I think she spent like ten years making this. Uh, she, while she she's adjusting to life as a first time mother, and she's like ultimately is discovering what it means to be a parent, and also learning the struggles of her parents before her, and, uh, you know, who obviously were Vietnamese uh, refugees and uh, or immigrants um, who, you know, suffered through the, the war and all, all that stuff. Uh, it's a search of her trying to find her own voice, her place, uh, her own identity. Uh, it, it's black and white, white ink with uh, some red shading color. It's, it's very simple. Uh, the story's very raw. It, uh, I don't know. It, it, it's one of those things that will get you to tear up. It uh, recalls one of my favorite graphic novels of all time, Blankets by Craig Thompson. It reminds me of that quite a bit. Um, this probably isn't, you know, for people who want superheroes and capes and stuff like that. This is just a very personal story, but I highly recommend it. That is The Best We Could Do by T. Bowie. Brad. What have you been reading? 
So I haven't actually started reading yet, but I'm excited to dive into a couple new books because for Christmas uh, I re- I received a book about the making of Young Frankenstein, uh, which is one of my favorite comedies directed by Mel Brooks. And I also got the uh, Stranger Things Worlds Turned Upside Down book, which also dives into the making of the, the series on Netflix with cool art that makes it look like it's a book that you know uh, was just sitting around a used bookstore in Hawkins, Indiana. So I'm, I'll be diving into those soon. I'll probably talk about them on an upcoming episode once I actually am able to dig into them more properly. Very cool. Chris, what have you been reading? A little while ago, I mentioned I was reading uh, the book The Soprano Session, which is by Alan Sevenwall and Matt Zoller Seitz. Uh, that'll be out uh, January 8th. I got an advanced reader's copy of it. And I finished that over the holiday, and uh, it is phenomenal. If you're a fan of the show, I would highly recommend it. Um, you know, the book, it goes through every single episode. And then at the end, there's a very long interview with David Chase, who created the show and wrote almost, you know, all the episodes where he answers just a lot of questions about the series. He talks a lot about the show's uh, final episode, which some find, you know, uh, controversial just because the way it ended very unexpectedly. Um, So that was great. I, I highly recommend that. That'll be out January 8th. As I said, and I also got for Christmas. Uh, no, that's it. <laughs> that's the end of my story. I'm done. When you've been reading this this book, have you been revisiting any of the episodes? I haven't, but as I was reading it, I felt the urge to go back. So I think uh, sooner rather than later, I'm going to have to go back and start rewatching it from the beginning, just because just reading the book has has made me want to see all the, these episodes again. Because the chapters go like episode by episode, right? Right. Yeah. Every every uh, section it's broken up into season, and season. it go it's it's basically like it's half episode guide, half uh, you know criticism about about the show. So you know it it goes into literally every single episode. See, I'm such a completist that I I would be so tempted that I would have to watch every season in between chapters. But <laughs> I don't have that kind of time. But. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of a lot of stuff to watch there. Uh, speaking of watching, uh, let's move on to what we've been watching. Ben, what have you been watching this week? Um, so I haven't really had a chance. We've just had like a lot of uh, Christmas movies on, on in the background, but I never actually sat down and watched any of them. So I didn't feel like justified in really talking about them in the section. So the only movie that I've actually seen since we recorded our previous water cooler episode all the way through uh, is Three Identical Strangers, which I watched on the plane out to Florida. And this movie premiered at Sundance in January of this year, and I had it on my list that I was really interested to see it there, and I just cannot find the time to make it to a screening with the other things that I had to see. So, And and then just I, I missed it in the theater. I know this movie like performed pretty well. I think it made like $12 million to the box office, which is like pretty decent for a, a documentary. And I finally got around to checking out this film. It's... I, I hesitate to even say much about it beyond the very, very basic premise because I think it it definitely is worth watching. Um, I think anybody who understands what it's about, which is right there in the title, Three Identical Strangers, it's these brothers who who discover that they were raised separately and, and separated at birth and they discover each other in, I think, the, the 1980s or, or maybe the, uh, yeah, in 1980 actually is when they first uh, meet up for the first time. And it, it sort of chronicles the insane media whirlwind that uh, tracks their reunion and how they became, you know, best friends and 
opened a business together and, and all of this stuff. And, uh, and then it takes a, an interesting turn. And I don't even want to hint at what that is um, because I was so fascinated. And I luckily had not had this, mo- this movie spoiled for me. But it, it's really, really fascinating the, um, the story that, that goes along with how and why these, these brothers ended up where they were. And um, yeah, I, I guess I just want to, I'll leave it at that with just like a, a very strong recommendation to watch this movie. Um, I'll also say that it's interesting to me after having seen this, that this and Minding the Gap, which is another another documentary that I watched uh, relatively recently and is one of 2018's biggest documentary successes, I think, um, are both movies that in some ways are about uh, the trauma that comes with generations and like the, the how certain things are passed on from parents to children and how, how people um, you know deal with uh, with trauma in their lives. So. Uh, I wasn't expecting that angle to be present in Three Identical Strangers based on like the teaser trailer and, and some of the uh, early images and stuff that I'd seen, synopses and, and what have you. But this is a very, very good movie, and I would definitely recommend checking it out. I have now added that to my watch list. I feel like everybody's just talking about, in terms of documentaries, uh, the, the Mr. Rogers documentary at this end mm-hmm. of the year. But there's there's some great documentaries like you know this one and uh, also Minding the Gap. Uh, that I feel like are not in the conversation and should be. Yeah, so. and Free Solo, which I mentioned yes. recently. That's another really good one, too. Brad, what have you been watching? Uh, I did some catch-up and also caught some new stuff. Uh, first of all, I finally got around to seeing Widows, uh, Steve McQueen's latest movie, uh, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, it's it's a re- it's a, an elevated heist thriller. It's not just about these uh women who have been widowed by their husbands you know uh killed in a robbery gone wrong trying to pull off the heist themselves obviously that's that's the plot but there's so much that remains you know uh unsaid and that that is injected throughout you know commentary on just culture and race and society and that kind of things and what's great is mcqueen does some of this in a, a very impressive way visually he doesn't do it through exposition or obvious you know things happening in the movie uh, there are some things that are a little bit, you know, more more obvious that um, that as far as commentary is concerned. But he does some really great things with how he uh, constructs shots in the, uh, this movie that just really impressed me, and that I, I ended up liking it a lot more than uh, even I thought that I would. Yeah, I, th- I think this movie isn't getting enough talk talked about. I, I don't think it's an award contender, but I think it's a very good film. Yeah, I'm. I don't know. I'm. I'm torn because like. It doesn't feel like a movie where I'm like, oh, my gosh, this movie needs to win tons of like Oscars or anything like that. But I feel like it just it really does have so much to say and that it's it's more than just your average action heist thriller. Um, but I, I don't know. Maybe I, th- I think I almost respect it more for since the movie doesn't r- really feel like it's trying to go for awards. I feel like I would be frustrated if it was doing that. And I think yeah. that maybe that's why it doesn't exactly feel like the kind of movie that should be getting that. So, you know, but, uh, yeah, I would, it's, it's, it's great. If you, you can, hopefully you can still see it. It's, I know it's been on its way out of theaters for the past week. So, but maybe it's still kicking somewhere. And you also um, saw the new Transformers movie. I did. I got around to seeing Bumblebee and it is, uh, I was happy to see that it delivered just as uh, good of a movie as everyone said it was. It's so much fun. Uh, the, the action is great. The story has a lot of heart to it. Haley Steinfeld's, fantastic in it it feels like a a transformers version of the iron giant um which is uh even though you know it it echoes a lot of what was already great about the iron giant it's 
cool to see the Transformers iconography done in a way that uh, pays tribute to the original animated series. Um, the the op- opening sequence on Cybertron is a lot of fun, and this just it just feels so much more personal um, and heartfelt than any of the other Transformers movies. This this movie didn't feel like it was trying to you know, sell you toys as much as Michael Bay's movies did. And it didn't feel like a music video full of Victoria's Secrets models with the camera endlessly panning around people. I just, it, it was different and uh, hopefully it's a step in the right direction for them sort of revamping the Transformers franchise and doing something cool with it. For sure. And then I, <laughs> against better judgment. Um, <laughs> why, Brad, I, Why? Honestly, I was just ever since this the first trailer came out for Welcome to Marwin, I felt compelled to see it because it looked like such a perplexing juxtaposition of animation and drama and tragedy. And let me tell you, it is truly tragic on a number of levels. Um, this this movie, I, I feel like it has its heart in the right place and how it wants to tell this story of this, you know, a, a, this true story of a guy who had this tragedy tragedy happen to him where he was attacked by, you know, some, some Nazi punks and uh, channeled his PTSD into this, you know, the art project where it creates this small uh, World War II miniature town and kind of, you know, try like, and ends up healing himself or, you know, taking solace in this world that he's created uh, inspired by people who have helped him. But man, this movie just misses the mark just because the, the mixture of the, the comedy and goofiness that comes from all of the doll sequences, which is takes up way more runtime than I was anticipating. Um, it is just so odd and weird. And I, I just, I was so perplexed and mesmerized by this movie at the same time. It, it is unforgettable, but not in a good way. <laughs> happened to Robert Zemeckis? Like as a kid, he was like one of my favorite directors, obviously, you know, he did Back to the Future franchise. He did Who Framed Roger Rabbit. He did uh, Romancing the Stone, Used Cars, uh, Death Becomes Her. And then I feel like, oh, Contact. I really loved Contact as a kid. And then I feel like something happened when he directed Forrest Gump and there was, uh, you know, the Oscar talk. I feel like he got bit by that. And sure, he did do Castaway, which I enjoy. But and and then also he got bit by that, uh, you know, the whole technology bug. He wanted to do all those uh, uh, motion capture, performance capture films. Like the one thing I will say is the whatever I assume they use motion capture for some of the doll stuff. Whatever they did for some of the face work um, here is eerily realistic. There are some shots of specifically Leslie Mann. Uh, close-up shots of her where they it look actually looks like her eyes and it made me wonder if they just added like a layer of plastic you know visual effects whatever to her face and just let her real eyes exist instead of having computer animated eyes but if they were completely digital eyes informed by some kind of motion capture performance they did an incredible job making them look creepily realistic <laughs> i mean it, as much as i don't love his performance capture movies I feel like he did a lot of work in that space and, you know, people like James Cameron are now reaping the benefits of of that work. And uh, Zemeckis, I don't think is going to get the credit that he deserves. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Let me talk about what I've uh, been watching. I saw Aquaman for a second time. I got to see it this time in IMAX. Um, I, I feel about the same about the movie. I will say 
that if you haven't seen this movie and you do want to see this movie, see it in IMAX for sure. All of the underwater scenes or most of the underwater scenes are in full screen IMAX and it's a uh, a much more immersive experience because it, while it wasn't shot with IMAX cameras, basically in the editing process, James Wan uh, realized that he could, you know, because you're rendering that world, you can just render, you know, the top and bottom a little bit more and, uh, you know, actually get a full IMAX movie. So I feel like this is one of the few, you know, IMAX releases that is, you know, a must see in IMAX. Um, that said, I wouldn't, recommend i wouldn't necessarily recommend seeing this movie again in imax i I think seeing this movie once was fine but i I had a friend who was a comic book uh fan john um who listens to this podcast and he wanted to see this movie and he saw it and he didn't like it so so there you go uh there's people like dave chen who didn't like this movie and then uh there's the rest of the world who who enjoyed (laughs) it and uh even despite its flaws uh but um do you have something to say, HT? Oh, I want to say it's really interesting to me how like extreme the reactions are to this movie. <laughs> is that people either hate it wholeheartedly, or there's um, I don't know who reviewed it for RogerEbert.com who gave it like uh, like four stars or something, and I was like, wow, I was even surprised by that. People either love <laughs> it or hate it, is what I'm saying. And I was on the love it side because I think it's just so gloriously dumb, but <laughs> I can see that why it would put some people off. I totally see why people would not like the movie, but I feel like it's just so enjoyable. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, This week was the finale of Survivor, David vs. Goliath. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, the Survivor uh, shows, and um, I won't spoil this for anybody who hasn't seen this, and I know the series airs overseas like next year, which is weird because I feel like the results are out there. But I feel like the the winner of the show is rarely the person who should win. And this time, again, was another person I don't think should have won. But um, but it was a good season. I enjoyed it. Um, at home, I was uh, spending most of the last week catching up on screeners and movies on streaming. I watched uh, The Hate You Give, which is the movie that my Critics Association named Best Picture of the Year, which I was kind of, I think a lot of people were surprised about because this isn't a movie that a lot of people have been talking about, despite having, you know, I think the Rotten Tomatoes rating is like 90-something percent. So it's it's a very critically acclaimed movie, but it's not, you know, a movie in the award conversation uh so i i watched i finally got a screener of this uh because i don't think it's playing in theaters anymore and i watched it this is directed by george tillman jr who did uh notorious and uh not so great movies like faster and the longest ride uh this movie is about a girl named star who is constantly switching between two worlds the the world of her poor mostly black neighborhood where she lives and the rich mostly white prep school which she attends and uh she goes to this party in her neighborhood and is driving home with her childhood best friend they get pulled over by a cop and the friend is being playful with her and tries to uh grab his hairbrush and the cop thinks it's a gun and shoots him and kills him and uh uh, so that's how this movie kind of starts. And now Star is facing, you know, pressures from all sides of the community because this guy was 
a drug dealer. The drug dealer doesn't want Star to, you know, testify, and she she, she doesn't want to testify because she doesn't want to be known in the prep school as, you know, the girl from the poor neighborhood. People don't know her as that. So it, it, she's kind of. Uh, meeting all these uh, internal struggles and also external struggles that you'll see uh, and in the end has to decide what she what she wants to do and what she wants to stand for. Uh, this is based on a critically acclaimed uh, New York Times bestseller. Uh, it um, the uh, I don't know. I, I really like this movie a lot. Uh, I, w- I was surprised at how much I like this movie. It is a little heavy handed. Um, but regardless, it's very powerful. I think the performance by the the girl that plays Star, uh, um, Mandela, um, Amanda Stenberg. Yeah, I'm so bad with names. I apologize, guys. But she is fantastic, and I see her having a huge career. Um, and uh, you know, it might be that I've seen Spider Man into the Spider Verse way too many times recently. But it, it was very hard to not see the comparisons <laughs> to this film, <laughs> which stars, you know, a, 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 a black person who is traveling into the city to attend, you know, a rich prep school. Uh, the character's mother is a nurse. Uh, one of the relatives is a cop. And, uh, you know, the inciting incident involves someone dying in front of them. And uh, involves them deciding if they are going to be the hero or not. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> I know that's like ridiculous, but like watching this movie, I, I, it just uh, I just couldn't escape uh, thinking of how many comparisons this movie actually has to Spider Verse. I, I highly recommend this movie. This movie is going to be in my top twenty of the year. I'm not sure if my top ten. Uh, again, it's heavy handed, but I feel like it's uh, worth seeing and has some some interesting things to say. Uh, what else did I watch? I watched uh, You Were Never Really Here, which I know is one of Chris's favorite movies this year. Is that like your top, Chris? I think it's number three, and uh, I think it's number one for HT, actually. Am I? Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I feel bad because... <laughs> <laughs> okay, Walking Phoenix has a phenomenally uh, vulnerable performance. I love the music and sound design, the stuff that Johnny... I love Johnny Greenwood, and I wish you'd do more movies. I feel like this film is shot in... For what it is, it's shot in a more beautifully interesting way than it normally would be. I do feel like it was a little slow for me. It was a lot of very internal lacking, like, you know, it lacks like a queer narrative. I think, um, there's, uh, I, I appreciated the interesting changes from subjective to, uh, perspective point of views in the filmmaking. Uh, it, what would you say? What is this movie about? Because I, I, I realize I'm giving a review of this movie before people probably even know what it is. It's about a guy who gets hired to. He's like a hitman who targets men who uh, traffic young girls, yeah. and that's like his specialty. And uh, I that's that's the basic premise, and it's like a pretty yeah. basic premise that one uh, once he uh, he it, it pulls off one job, but then it goes wrong because uh, the girl uh, gets kidnapped again and there's like a more vast conspiracy involving like the local government and stuff and he um tries to 
basically like uh, get her back. I I like the the director's take on this. I I just feel like um I feel like this is a little bit more artsy style over substance. I feel like I feel like the film wants to be like Taxi Driver, but it doesn't reach that greatness. It, it's a visual poem that to me doesn't have much depth to it. Are you guys going to kill me? No, <laughs> no, but I disagree with you completely. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you don't have your own opinion, Peter, but you are 100% wrong. So. <laughs> what, what, I want to hear why I'm wrong, Chris. Tell me why I'm wrong. I... Uh... Uh, for one thing, I I don't actually think the movie is trying to be Taxi Driver. Obviously, those comparisons seem like they're there because, you know, the basic premise. But it's taking that Taxi Driver-esque narrative and it, it's doing something very different with it. And, it, you know, it's it's really about I, – I don't know. What I love most about this movie is the way it denies – what you think it's going to be like there's no you know it sets it up to look like there's going to be these really violent action scenes but every time see i, ca- I kind of hated that because like i you didn't get the thing that you wanted and i understand the that's the point i understand <laughs> i totally get it it's, but... it's, it's deliberately denying you that catharsis of celebrating violence because the film is asking you why why do you celebrate violence? Chris, I, I am here to celebrate the violence, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, everything Chris says, it denies you that catharsis and basically is the anti-glamorous uh, like antithesis to Taxi Driver. It basically ha- makes you, it challenges what you think of these sort of lone wolf, lone wolf heroes and why we glorify them so much. And when in fact they are these, so, these broken shells of men who have... Uh, been unable to uh, grow or uh, become fully like they're stuck in this arrested development essentially. I feel like we don't learn that much about him. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, and by the way, this sounds like I didn't like the movie. I liked the movie. I just didn't love the movie, and I was like, hoping to love it like you guys. So like, I, I don't want this to sound like I did not like this movie. It's just I feel like it's a few steps away from greatness, and not you know, it's good. It's not great. Um, but satisfying the violence I obviously desperately needed. I watched Upgrade. Um, this is from Lee Winnell. Winnell? <laughs> I think that's his name. He wrote and uh, starred in the first Saw film. He wrote a bunch of the Saw sequels. He was screenwriter of Insidious and the sequels of that. And he directs this film. It stars uh, Logo- Logan Marshall Green as a man who has lost his wife in a brutal mugging that also leaves him paralyzed. And he's approached by a billionaire inventor with an experimental cure that will upgrade his body the cure is an artificial intelligence implant uh i think they call it stem and it will give him uh you know advanced physical abilities and intelligence and uh allowing him to get the vengeance he he needs against the those have that murdered his wife and left him for you know left him for dead so uh this um this film is is a fun horror slash sci fi combo. It 
feels almost like part of Black Mirror episode and mashed with John Wick, but with some of the craziness of like the crank films. Uh, the action uh, is, is kind of cool because I know we've seen movies in the past where people have been upgraded with like, you know, you know, advanced skills or intelligence. And this is, is kind of cool because it's being played as if the character almost doesn't know what his body is doing. So like his body is like, you know, he's not in control of what's going on in the fight. And that, that, that that's kind of uh, cool to see. And there's some cool action uh, sequences with that. Um, there's uh, some interesting twists and turns, especially in the later half of this movie that I really enjoyed. So I would recommend Upgrade. Uh, I think this might even be in my top 20. I'm not sure where, where it lies at this point, but I, I, I liked it. Um, I also watched Skate Kitchen. This is a movie that I've heard a bunch of people talking about uh, this year. And it's weird how, you know, these years come with, like, a bunch of movies that are kind of similar. Like, this year had mid-90s, which was about, you know, the Jonah Hill-directed film about a bunch of kids growing up, uh, you know, in skate parks and stuff. And then there was uh, Minding the Gap, which is the documentary about those kind of kids becoming adults this movie is about a bunch of teenage women um in new york city um and it's it's kind of more of a slice of life naturalistic take it's kind of like a wink letter film it's coming of age it's a. Uh, it almost feels like a documentary which is interesting because this director uh crystal moselle I think uh, her first film was The Wolf Pack in 2015. I have not seen that, but that's a documentary about her brothers. Um, and she won the documentary grand jury prize at Sundance for that. And this is her first kind of narrative feature film. And it's interesting because I was watching this film and it stars all these, uh, you know, teenage uh, women actors, you know, on skateboards. And they're doing like all this insane tricks and stuff in between like you know the moments of drama and i'm kind of wondering because it's very clear that these people are the ones actually doing the the skate work it's not like stunt doubles and i was like how did she cast this film because these people are so these women are so good and i found out that uh she actually just cast people that are good at this she 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 found these act actresses um she met them while taking the subway and she she built a film around them, and uh, I don't know. This is an insightful look at being a teenage girl in th- this modern day, and also, you know, a peek into this you know skating subculture. Um, don't let the fact that Jaden Smith has a role, a minor role in this movie, scare you away. I I really like this film, and I feel like uh, I feel like. Someone should do a triple feature of these films. I feel like someone should, and I and I would propose this order. I propose people start with mid nineties, go on to Skate Kitchen, and end with Minding the Gap. That would be my proposed order. Um, has anybody else seen Skate Kitchen? Here, no, okay, nope. I, uh, I would highly recommend you guys see it. Uh, yeah, ch- check it out. It's um. Get where I saw it on Hulu. It's on Hulu, and uh, I'm sorry, I have a lot of things to talk about here, guys. So I apologize for this longer than normal segment, but I've been catching up 
I also saw a movie called The Endless, and this is a film that you can find on Netflix. It is written, directing, and starring Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. This is um, a weird film. The plot synopsis for this film might not even make you want to see it. It's about two guys who, a decade ago, escaped a UFO death cult and receive a mysterious tape in the mail that, for some reason, makes them want to go revisit this death cult and uh, go back there. And that's kind of the inciting incident. This is this movie is kind of it reminds me of those movies, um, almost like uh, the sound of my voice or the OA. So if you like uh, stuff like that or like Lost, it's very weird but fun. You know, it takes some time to get going. You have to invest yourself. You don't know what's going on. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot to talk about and theorize upon after the film, and I think the film doesn't provide any real explanations or answers uh, and there's a lot of interpretation here and I, I enjoy that I know some people would probably hate it uh, I, I think this film is categorized as a horror movie I don't think it really is a horror movie um, has anybody else seen this this film The Endless I have not uh, nope no I'm surprised Chris hasn't seen this because this seems no, I have. like I just said I did. oh you have oh, I didn't hear you um, what did you think of this Chris Oh, I loved it. I love their movies in general. I, I particularly love they made a film called Spring, which is fantastic. Uh, one thing I'll say about this is it's it's directly tied to their first film, Resolution. So if you haven't seen that, I would recommend trying to see that because it has a lot of stuff that ties into that first film. Interesting. I, I do know two of the characters are from that film. Like we actually yeah. encounter a place in two characters that are actually from that film. I'm wondering if I see that film, will, will I feel like I have more insight? Will I, will I enjoy it more? Not really. I mean, it, it's it's more that it, it makes it more interesting and more fun, but it's not like you're going to get direct answers to questions. You know, there's still a lot that's up for interpretation. Yeah, no, but I would highly recommend this to anybody that likes, you know, the OA, let's say. And this is available on Netflix, so there, there's your good tie-in there. Um I also, on, on Christmas Day, for some reason, we were looking for something to watch, and we put on uh, on Netflix, we were looking through Netflix, and there was a documentary called The American Meme, uh, and this is about people who are famous for being famous. Um, this is infuriating, guys. I feel like the two most infuriating movies this year were Vice and The American Meme. <laughs> the American meme uh, is I don't understand why any of these people are famous. I don't understand who are following these people. I don't feel like this Netflix original doc like gives me any insight. I think the most famous the most famous person in this doc is Paris Hilton. Um, other people in this doc is uh, some guy some guy named the Fat Jewish. I'm not sure if anybody if you guys know that he uh, kind of got famous from stealing and reposting memes online and he's like a big guy uh there was a girl the girl from the blurred lines video um dude apparently now has you know 
tens of millions of followers online just from that appearance. And isn't she, uh, isn't she the actress Emily Wojcikowski? Yeah. Yes. Uh, and a guy named Krill. I'm not sure if you know about this guy, but he's famous for spraying alcohol in girls' faces at parties. So he gets invited to parties around the world to do that and take video or photos and post those on his Instagram. And he has millions of people looking at his photos. I don't I, I don't get it. People like tattooing his name on their bodies. I don't I don't know any of these people. I don't understand why these people are famous and watching this documentary just made me angry and I don't even think the documentary gives me any insight into these people or wh- why we are you know interested in them so I'm not sure I could recommend this to anybody but if that sounds like something you'd want to see you can find that on Netflix it's called the American meme have either have any of you guys watched this I'm assuming not this is my first time hearing about this, but I will say this is a I feel like the the memification of celebrity has kind of descended fr- from the Kardashians becoming so famous and basically monetizing that um, that like morbid curiosity we have with watching a train wreck into like a, their own celebrity and that the meme itself has kind of become an extension of that. Um, but I feel like the American meme probably doesn't get into that reading but it it does a little bit it it does also like kind of lay some parallels into how the kardashians or kind of stole some tactics from paris hilton who was kind of like i guess probably the first of that um i don't know i i didn't even know that paris hilton was like a big thing anymore but apparently she still has like tens of millions of followers who like I don't know. This is just infuriating. (laughs) If you want to get angry, uh, I feel like Chris would would hate this movie. (laughs) Um, Based on on everything you just said, I will never watch this as long (laughs) as I live. Um, I also watched some TV. Uh, I'll try to make this short. I watched the new Guillermo del Toro produced Netflix and DreamWorks animated series, Three Below, Tales of Arcadia. This is on Netflix. This is in the same universe as um, Troll Hunters, which I enjoyed. I only watched the first two episodes of this. It's interesting. It it follows a bunch of aliens, this family. Uh, they are royalty on their family, and there's a kind of this uh, this evil alien group kind of pulls a coup, and they must escape from their their home, and they end up hiding out on Earth, where they take the form of three beings that people on Earth tend to ignore: a girl, a Latino, and an old man. Um, and that is the basic premise of the show. It's kind of. Um, a lot of the humor is them not understanding Earth customs and fish out of water. So if that sounds like fun, uh, it is. Uh, it has voice acting from Nick Offerman and Diego Luna and uh, the girl from Orphan Black, uh, Tatiana Maisley. Tatiana Maslany. Maslany, yeah. Uh, again, I'm bad at pronouncing names. Uh, one thing is apparent watching this in Aquaman. Um, the alien worlds of both those movies seem so inspired by Tron Legacy. And I feel like Tron Legacy is one of those movies that is becoming forgotten with time, but probably is, and you know, is not considered a success, but probably has the most impact 
on other films and TV out of any other poorly received film in the last 10 years. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like a lot of people are take the have been very inspired by not only the visuals, but the music of that film. And um, but I, I would recommend this. Check it out. It is. a Oh, I'm just amazed at the the animation of this of the series, like the animation in the series seems almost on the level that it could be a feature film. And when you compare this against what like Disney's doing with the, their Star Wars shows, it's like night and day. Like this like feels like a big budget presentation and DreamWorks is seriously putting some big money and uh, some talent into this. I I think Del Toro wrote at least the first, I, I think he outlined the series and I, he wrote, at least the first two episodes. Uh, so if you like Del Toro, check this out. I, I also recommend Troll Hunters, which I think I liked a little bit more. And uh, I watched one other show this week. I watched the first episode of Sci-Fi's Deadly Class. Uh, this is based on the graphic novel. Um, and uh, Deadly Class, it's coming out next month sometime in january but sci-fi put the first episode online you can find it on youtube and this is a show an adaptation produced by the russo brothers uh it uh follows a teenager who's recruited into elite private school filled with uh children of crime families and affluent uh criminals so it's basically like hogwarts of crime and uh, this film, ta- or this show, takes place in the '80s. Has some great '80s music, uh, very stylish. Uh, although you know, you do feel the the restraints of the sci-fi television budget at play here. Uh, I would I would ch- recommend checking this out. I know uh, my girlfriend Kitra, who usually does not like sci-fi channel productions, still wants to watch this after seeing the first episode. So uh, that, that that is a vote of confidence, I think. Uh, that that is what I've been watching. Uh, HT, what have you been watching? I have been. I finally saw Spider Man into the Spider Verse, so I'm finally not the only one in this podcast who has not seen this movie, and I loved it. Oh my god, yes. the animation is just absolutely stunning, and it's uh, validated everything I've been defending about the medium for a lot, for years, in that it really re- reaches the potential of what. Um, animation can do in that in like how it can blend together and um, maximize like the imagination and stuff like that. So it's it's this gorgeous combination of both 3D and hand drawn animation, I think, and it looks like pop art come to life, um, like and like pop art meets comic books. It's just so gorgeous, and uh, the story itself is so so good too, as well as the characters. I think the characters are real standouts. And I absolutely loved Miles Morales, especially. Um, I hadn't read a lot of his comics, but I was excited to see his story on screen for the first time. And I was happy to see that his story wasn't overcrowded by all the other characters that were happening um, that uh, appeared in this movie. It like He was front center and it was about his origin and about his uh, experience. And I, I really liked that. Um, I also was a, very pleasantly surprised to see, um, to rather to hear Chris Pine come in at the beginning. Um, my favorite Chris, other than you, Chris, Evangelista in front of you right here. <laughs> Wait, so it's Chris Evangelista, then Chris Pine, and then who's the third Chris? Oh, oh, I, Evans and Hemsworth 
are hard to um i probably will do hemsworth first and then evans sorry evans um anyways uh i absolutely adored this movie um and i am so excited for i hope it um it gets some acknowledgement come award season because it is definitely the boldest and most uh, radical sort of imagining of uh, both the superhero movie and of the, the animated genre that I've seen in a long time. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I want to see it again at some point just because I feel like there's so many, not just Easter eggs, but uh, nuances and details that you can miss just watching it the first time around and being wowed by it. And uh, I, this is a movie I think that will get better even upon rewatch. Um, I also saw Minding the Gap, which uh, I know you guys both talked about a little bit. Uh, this is the documentary uh, by filmmaker Bing Lu, who uh, goes back to his hometown uh, of Rockford, Illinois, and uh, basically tells the stories of these two skateboarders who he grew up with and with an, a combination of footage that he shot as a kid and footage that he shot as like as their adults. He tells this really affecting, really personal and intimate story about this sort of vicious cycle of uh, abuse and socioeconomic um, pressures that these men go through that both... Uh, challenge our ideals of masculinity and um, our perceptions of people who grow up in like low class, low income uh, communities that kind of go under the radar. It's this really beautiful, affecting film that um, is unlike anything I've seen as well, because it feels like he got this level of access that no other filmmaker would be able to get because he, being Lou himself, grew up in this community and uh, was able to um, befriend men, get close to them because of that. It's a great film, and I think I, I think it might be my favorite documentary of the year, even more than Mr. Rogers, or, or rather, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, uh, just because it tells such um, a varied and layered story um, and uh, I, I really enjoyed it a lot. So that one is on Hulu, if you get the chance to see it. I will say I haven't seen a lot of other documentaries yet, so I'm trying to make my way through uh, Shirkers later, and uh, hopefully Free Solo at some point. Um, I also saw, I rewatched Game Night um, with my family, and I was able to convince them that it is one of the best studio comedies this year, and they thoroughly enjoyed it later we played games so that was a lot of fun and a very on theme sort of night for our christmas eve or rather christmas day i'm sorry game night is and so good like i don't know so i feel like a lot a lot of people aren't talking about that one either and like that's gonna mm-hmm. be in my top 20 of the year and i'm not you know i, I know brad you typically calls me the comedy curmudgeon and <laughs> it's just such a great movie and i feel like it's not getting a lot of love but i know and rachel mcadam's uh, as always, is so good in it. Um, and Jesse so, Plemons and the and dog. Jesse Plemons. Yes, the dog, Olivia, who shows up in two other movies slash TV shows this year. She's also in Widows, by the way. So that's a fun fact. Um, I also watched Die Hard for the first time, uh, which I feel like we've touched on this podcast before about my not having ever seen Die Hard. And it's good. I actually was quite surprised to see how well structured and how good and um gripping of an action film it is and a heist film at that like i i think 10 minutes into the movie as is start setting up 
who Bruce Willis's character is, John McClane. Sorry, everyone's John McClane. They love him. Um, who Bruce, Bruce Willis's character is and who how this it starts feeding you um, plot points and other such sort of important details. I was like, okay. This is a good movie, and I get the hype for it. I'm not entering the Christmas discourse, um, <laughs> but I really enjoyed this movie. And uh, my dad was really excited to um, watch it with me. Uh, he uh, he's he loves this movie. It's a, it's a very dad movie, and yeah. it's uh, one of the movie few movies he watches without falling asleep, which he was very proud of this time around. <laughs> um, so uh, I really enjoyed Die Hard, and. Um, now you just go uh, see Die Hard with a Vengeance. Oh, I'm okay. <laughs> no, that, that, that's I'm the only okay other just... good one in that franchise, it... I okay. think. Ben, I am, I, am I wrong there? Or I mean, HG, I think you're probably good just, <laughs> uh, just yeah. uh, you know, going out on top right now because it, Die Hard with a Vengeance is a good one, but it's not as good as Die Hard. So you've really hit the Oh, it's definitely not as good. Ready. So, yeah, you can just... You should just read all of the 30th anniversary coverage on Slash Film that we did earlier this year, <laughs> now having a better understanding of what this movie is. And then everybody else should read that, too, because there's some really great stuff there. We'll, we'll link yeah. in the show notes. Um, and then the last thing I watched was uh, the new part of Terrace House a Japanese reality show, which I've talked about on this podcast before, so I won't go too far into it. But the fifth part of the season of Terrace House, Karazawa, or rather Terrace House Opening New Doors, was released on Netflix, and I binged through all of it in one day. It's about eight, eight episodes, and I am enjoying this part a lot more than the last part, which kind of dragged after the uh, departure of my favorite couple, uh, the, who I also talked about before, Shion Zubasa, the cute um, sort of uh, sports rom-com couple who seem like they're characters and they seem like they would be uh, fictional characters but they're real people and absolutely adorable so they left last part and it was it kind of started to drag and become a little tedious but this part um all there's like almost an entirely new cast i guess you would say and uh there's just so much more energy and it's more fun and um everyone in this part is actually super beautiful too we have like a model and uh a soccer player and several other people who I think yeah it's good I recommend if you're if you're um put off by the last part of Terrace House to get back into it because uh this season feels much more refreshing or this part feels much more refreshing and uh energetic than it did before very cool uh Chris what have you been watching or re-watching uh yeah everything I I watched is is a rewatch. um first I wa- I rewatched First Man which I was very lukewarm uh, with when I saw it at TIFF, but I actually liked it a lot more this second time. So I don't know if I was in a better place mentally or if for some reason it plays better, you know, on a TV than it does a big screen. I don't know, but I I liked it a lot more this second time. I mean, it still is not going to be like in my top 10 or anything like that, but it, it, it's it's much better than I gave it credit for. And I actually feel a little bad for being so lukewarm on it. Not that I gave it like a bad review. I was just sort of mixed on it. And I think if I were reviewing it now, my review would be a lot more positive. Uh, maybe, beyond maybe, that, maybe I have to see that again because I was also lukewarm on that. I feel like it didn't give me much insight into him as a, as a person. And I felt like Ryan's performance was very shallow like it was 
I don't know. I don't know. I actually, I think this actually might be his best performance like I've ever seen and watching it the second time because, you know, he, Ryan Gosling, he's, he's made a career of playing very reserved, quiet people who, you know, always looks furious. And that's sort of like, this is like the ultimate version of that character. He's like a walking zombie with like nothing happening. I don't. Like when I'm watching him in this movie, I feel like there's nothing going on beyond behind the eyes. Like I don't feel like I'm even seeing emotions being like kept at bay. I feel like there's I nothing. Like, I definitely see them there, especially this second time. So I don't know. To each their own, I guess. I don't know. Um, other than that, I rewatched Vice, which you know I, I remain very confused as to why so many critics. Uh, downright hate this movie. I, I continue, you know, the second time I watched it, I, I liked it pretty much just as much the first time I saw it. You know, I, I do agree it's very, at times, very heavy-handed. It's very over-the-top, but I feel like that's, you know, the, that's the style it's going for. Like, it's not trying to be a subtle movie. So, you know, I, I think being angry that the movie isn't subtle is just kind of strange because it's not trying to be subtle. It's trying to be this big, broad almost satire of, you know, the, this <laughs> terrible person. And then I uh, also rewatched Destroyer, which is the, the Nicole Kidman movie. And that's another film which has gotten a mixed reaction that uh, I love. That's actually in my top 10. So I don't know. I'm, you know, uh, for some reason, the, those two films are not as well loved by others as they are by me. And I can't really figure out why, but, you know, go figure. So why are you rewatching so much stuff? Like, have you run out of good stuff to watch this year? So, you know, I rewatched First Man because I hadn't seen it since TIFF, which was a long time ago. Uh, and uh, the other two, my wife hadn't seen and she wanted to watch them. So we, we watched those uh, yesterday on Christmas Day. Very cool. Uh, let's move on to what we've been eating. I, as I mentioned, I, I went to Chinese food for Christmas and I gained a handful of pounds. But before that... Before that happened, I had officially hit 30 pounds lost in my diet. So 30 pounds in three Yay. months. Yeah, I'm uh, very happy with myself. Uh, and I still got a long ways to go, but I'm, I already have to buy new pants and stuff like that. I've lost like 10 inches around my waist. So that's pretty insane. And I'm happy, although I've put uh, five of those pounds back on after christmas <laughs> so i um uh, so one day of binge eating chinese food that's what happens five pounds i'm sure it's probably just in my body you know it just needs to evacuate <laughs> not to be gross uh but i guess i was gross wasn't i uh uh anyways um brad what have you been eating uh, so I haven't really done much aside from the usual Christmas feasting, but I did finally find a candy bar that I was looking for since I knew it had just uh, come out. Uh, they released a Hershey's milk chocolate bar that has Reese's pieces inside of it. Uh, it's a pretty simple mix, but it's uh, it's really good. The combination of the Reese's pieces peanut butter with the Hershey's milk chocolate is uh, delicious. And I think I like it a little bit more than... The they have uh, Reese's peanut butter cups that have Reese's pieces inside them. I don't know if it's maybe the Reese's uh, peanut butter cups have maybe just a little too much peanut butter, but the the Hershey's milk chocolate with the Reese's pieces have a really good uh, crunch and blend of peanut butter. So I, I liked it a lot. Very cool. Uh, and let's move on to what we've been playing. 
I played a new board game, which I got for Christmas, called Photosynthesis. This came out in 2017, and this is a beautiful board game. It's about uh, trees growing, which sounds weird. Um, it... Um, it's one of those things that, like, if you were at a board game convention and you saw it, like, laid out on a table, it just draws people in. It's so beautifully – it's so beautiful. I'll, I'll put some photos in, in the show notes. Um, it um, So each player is playing one, uh, I guess, uh, species of trees, which is trying to spread their trees, to grow other trees, to – you know, in the end of the game, you get points and you win. So, uh, but this is a very, uh, I would say this is a very casual game. It's a very, uh, it's a gateway game. So if you, you don't play any like, you know, hardcore strategy games, like this is something you could buy and play and you can get it on Amazon. I would highly recommend it. It's, it's a beautiful production and it's, uh, kind of, um, a calm, like you could just hang out and, you know, chat with friends while playing this game. Uh, it's called photosynthesis. Brad, what have you been playing? Uh, no games, but I have been listening to the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse soundtrack quite a bit ever since seeing the movie. Um, I'm fairly picky about the hip-hop that I listen to. It's just not my preferred genre of music, so uh, it takes you know just a, a certain kind for me to get into it. And pretty much all of the songs from this the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse soundtrack are great. I, I don't know if the kids are still using this word, but there's a lot of bangers on this soundtrack. Um, the song, the song "Start a Riot" is really good. Uh, "Scared of the Dark," "What's Up Danger," and then the the song that was all over the trailers, uh, "Home" by Vince Staples and Richie Cohen is is fantastic. But this, I like this whole soundtrack. It's just it's really good, um, and it just it kind of makes you feel like a badass if you're driving around in it. Have you also been listening to the score? The score is pretty good too. I haven't taken the time to listen to the score outside of the movie yet, but I I, uh, I did add it to my my list of Spotify playlists to go back and give it a listen. I tried and failed to get a, a song from that nominated at my critics association. Did not happen. What about the Christmas soundtrack, Brad? Oh, I totally listened to the Christmas soundtrack. I was extremely excited when those songs became available just before Christmas. <laughs> um, how many songs are on the Christmas soundtrack? I think it's five. Five? I have not checked that out yet. Uh, I, I I will. I definitely will. HD, you've also been playing something this, this weekend. Yeah. Um, I talked a little bit about my game night earlier. So during my game night, I played Codenames for the first time. So Codenames is a, a tabletop game in which you have to... Um, it's sort of like an, a word association game, essentially. Uh, you pair up with one person, and they have to give you um, the this a word that is associated with two or with several of the words on the board in front of you, and you have to guess which word um, that is. So you give them a word and then a number of the words that are associated with that, and um, you have to guess which ones they are. And um, this is my first time playing it, and it was a little confusing at first uh, to understand the premise, but once you get into it, it's a lot of fun. Um, I played it with my sister, her boyfriend, and my cousin, and uh, even though it's just a four-person game, we had a good time. We played for like an hour or two, and um, uh, it was – yeah, I like it a lot. I, I think Peter was very excited when I <laughs> took a picture of this, and he was like, you're playing code names. And I was like, yeah. I didn't know there was like a huge following, but it's a fun, really simple, good party game. 
Yeah, I think yeah. it's probably the best party game like out right now, like the modern mm. party game. I think it's like replaced like Cards Against Humanity. I think is like really. The, the, I think uh, Brad, do you play it too? I've yeah, I've played it. Um, I, I I haven't played the regular version, but I on a whim I bought the adult version for a New Year's party last year, and we we well, actually which, played which it by with... the way the adult version isn't very adult. It's just every once in a while has like, you know. Like a word, I, it's, like well, it's, tampon. Well, it's, it's adult in the sense that, like, a lot of the words are like double entendres for things that are like sexual or or th- things like that. Um, so it, it can be adult, but it's, um, it's it, but it's yeah, it's, it's not anything overtly offensive like Cards Against Humanity is. Um, but yeah, it's it's really fun. We play we played it in teams actually when when we played that, and so that's that's fun too because then your teammates are like talking to each other trying to figure out well it could be this. It's like but this and like. It can it can make it difficult when you're trying to like play the person and make them make a connection that like you know they would have to a certain word, but another person doesn't have. Yeah, and uh, this is one of those games that's so popular it's gotten like other editions. Like they have codenames pictures, so instead of words, it's actually pictures of things, and they've licensed that out to like there's a Disney codenames pictures, there's a uh, Marvel, there's a Harry Potter version. Uh, so HT, you should get the Harry Potter version of Code. Yeah, you just made me very excited for a second. There's a Harry Potter version. Yeah. There's so much potential for that. Yeah, and uh, you also got a PlayStation. Yeah, I got a PS4. So I remember um, I didn't. I had missed out on a chance to buy the PS4 uh, during their the Black Friday deal, which paired the PS4 uh, with the Spider-Man video game. Uh, but it turns out my mom got me that for Christmas. So I have the PS4 Spider-Man bundle, and um, I'm really excited to start playing it, but more excited because I can finally play Kingdom Hearts 3 when it comes out later this month, or January, rather. I can't wait, guys. Very cool. And Brad, you still haven't gotten a PlayStation 4? No, just rub it in. Yeah, you're the lone holdout here. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get it soon, I, I swear. <laughs> okay, I think that brings us to the end of today's water cooler episode. Uh, you can find more of all of our us at SlashFilm.com. You can find that link to the diehard coverage in the show notes. Uh, SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, or life advice from Chris to peter at slashfilm.com. And please leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention it on the air. And please go to our iTunes page. Write us a couple lines. Give us a five-star review. Tell your friends. Spread the word. We'll see you tomorrow. So so Jacob's not here, so there's no book this week. So I don't know how. How do you end this episode? Hey, hey, Peter. <laughs> Jacob? No, no, it's it's me, Brad. <laughs> Brad. Brad, what are you doing? Uh I just I just wanted to, to give a little bit of a of a tribute to, to Jacob since he's he's not here. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. I, f- I found these 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 funny insults online. Are they better than than Jacob's insults? Nope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh I guess go go ahead. Hey, 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 Peter! You're so fake that Barbie is jealous. Mm. Yeah, these are about on the same level. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I found particularly worse ones. Okay, I I can't keep doing this. <laughs> <laughs>